does this particular supplement that is increasing the cellular distribution of energy actually do anything for fat loss? Because you could show this in a study and then maybe over the course of 12 weeks or six months or a year, there's no effect. You're just looking at kind of the tip of the iceberg of a biochemical reaction, but then something down that chain could just revert back to normal homeostatic processes. All right, guys. So this particular part two, uh, I wanted it to be a little bit more exhaustive than it turned out to be in terms of looking at individual compounds that can help with, with uh, carbohydrate utilization, even in some cases, lipid metabolism, which can directly impact cellular metabolism and indirectly impact hunger. At least I call that an indirect action of these so-called glucose disposal agents. So last week we did a little review of what glucose disposal means. And simply it's, as you consume carbohydrates, your blood sugar level is obviously going to increase. That has everything in the world to do with load, how much carbohydrate you consume, the simplicity or complexity of those, those food sources. Uh, but then how your body deals with it, which is a big indication of your health status. So your ability to mediate what happens to that rise in blood sugar is everything when it comes to, uh, of course, things like blood glucose sensitivity, insulin sensitivity, things that lead to metabolic syndrome and diabetes, type two diabetes specifically. Uh, those are very much within our control and determined by health status. So if we are extremely healthy, meaning, um, you know, blood sugar as, as measured by things like A1C are in the healthier ranges. That means that your body is not worn down. Receptor sites aren't degraded to that constant uptick of insulin. Uh, somebody who's consuming either too much carbohydrate, too many calories in general, too much sugar as a percentage of their carbohydrates, you're going to have much more rapid rises in blood sugar and therefore those consequent drops and like any chemical compound the more that is there receptor sites start to ignore that just to just to control homeostasis so you get that receptor site degradation you get to be uh, very insulin insensitive and so more is produced more is produced more is produced and you end up with this runaway train you know basically pulling apart at the center we have extremely high blood sugar levels and insulin that's no longer productive or, or effective. So along comes research, of course, uh, saying, well, hey, let's just take a pill for that. Like here, here are some things that we can do. And many of them are obviously uh, prescription level pharmacological agents, but there are also different compounds, minerals, vitamins, herbal type products that you can take that, that have some different effects. And, and this is that class of supplement that has really enjoyed a popular resurgence in the last four or five years. And I, I don't want to say it's, it's uh, unwarranted. I mean, I, I described last week that a lot of people take these and, and feel some effect that it's really doing something. And a lot of it is, is hunger mediation. And I, I wanted to get to the bottom of some of that. Uh, let me scroll down here. 
and show you first, one of the first things that I looked at, and I picked out for this week, the top two, and I'm going to stop there for this week. Um, L-carnitine and chromium, they have been around probably the longest, uh, more than just herbal products. They're, they're things that our, our, our bodies are uh, you know, in need of anyway. They have impact. And so taking more of them or consuming more of them uh, you know, is supposedly helpful. So this is one of the studies that I just clipped and showed last week. And I said, we would get to this. And, and I wanted to, to explain a little bit. So first of all, as a mechanism of action, what L-carnitine is, uh, it plays a role uh, in, in energy balance across cell membranes and in the metabolism of tissues. Uh, it, it transports long chain fatty acids into the mitochondria. So it takes available fats in your bloodstream right into what are known as, you know, quote, the cliche powerhouses of cells, the mitochondria for their subsequent use of energy. So right off the bat, the first mechanism of action isn't even directly carb related, but more fat related. It removes short and medium chain fatty acids uh, in that metabolic process and prevents their accumulation in the mitochondria. So there's kind of a cl cleaning, but by the way, acetyl L-carnitine uh, is what you see most in supplements. And that happens to be four times better than L-carnitine. So it's an interesting shift in what we would think of because we know the body prefers, cells prefer glucose as energy and L-carnitine kind of preempts that and pushes fat into the, uh, the cells, the mitochondria uh, as a little bit of a preferential switch. And, and that's Interestingly, I just cannot find, there, there's not a study that I know of who has looked this deeply into it, um, kind of the epidemiology, but let, let, me, let me show you this, then I'll get back to my question, my, my question of the process itself. So this particular study that we're just looking at, because there are so few out there, uh, 18 type 2 diabetics, they did a constant infusion of acetyl L-carnitine, I think I wrote that wrong, it should be ALC. Um, ACL, but that is uh, the ligament in your knee, uh, five milligrams of, uh, per kilogram of body weight, and then another extra infusion on top of that. So they wanted to kind of baseline people out. Here's what everybody's going to get just so we know that there's a certain level. Then we're going to add a small, medium, kind of large amount of this acetyl L-carnitine. And then they measured not just what was happening with the blood sugar uptake, but even glycogen storage in the muscle tissue, what's happening at that muscle cell level. And they found that glucose, uh, you know, tissue uptake increased significantly. So in this is, I mean, I don't want to say it's double, but it's probably close to 40% um, of glucose uptake into those cells. So even though the mechanism of action primarily hits the lipids, something is also either carrying glucose in there at the same time, and, and for those people who try this, very, very anecdotal, but consistent, people who supplement with L-carnitine say they actually feel more energy. You can be in the same calorie deficit, same pre-workout routine, food intake, and so forth. But just taking L-carnitine, they say, man, I just felt stronger. I, I just had more energy during that workout. Some people report being hotter, sweating easier, blood or, or heart rate gets up a little bit quicker. So, so perhaps, I mean, glucose is obviously being taken up into the tissue of the mitochondria more quickly as well, 
I don't know if that's just a direct mechanistic effect or because available lipids are moving in more quickly, then that means the next available source is glucose. So that's kind of a tailing effect. Um, but overall, in terms of all of the ingredients that you would see in a glucose disposal agent, just purely by logic, I, I can't say that this particular supplement would be one that reduces hunger. Because if you're increasing cellular metabolism that way, uh, you're actually pulling energy out of the, the bloodstream. You're actually creating more of that deficit, that sweeping effect into the muscle cells. So it could increase hunger, if anything. Um, but if you remember, the harder that you train, uh, you create a little bit of a, of a subdued hypothalamic response. And so you could end up with a little bit of, of hunger mediation that way. Um, but anyway, that's kind of up in the air because there just aren't, I, I can't find any research that goes into that level of detail, really looking at the biochemistry. But I, I will say that they, they showed a substantial um, you know, effect and it's the one that we would want it to be in terms of using energy. So we'll, we'll at least say that, that acetyl L-carnitine is in that list that has dramatic, uh, you know, empirical effect. And so it may be worth trying is, you know, if I were somebody saying, Hey, here's a list of supplements that, that may work. This has always been one that I've said it, it has some effect. Who knows if it's going to be substantial or not, as you'll see here in a second with, uh, um, a, a different particular study. So I wanted to look at not just the, that mechanism of action and, and look at the meta-analysis kind of consensus, but is there any study that would show actual fat loss? So, so does this particular supplement that is increasing the cellular distribution of energy, is it actually do anything for fat loss? Because you could show this in a quote Petri dish in a study and then maybe over the course of 12 weeks or six months or a year, maybe there's no effect. And, and we wouldn't know that. You're just looking at kind of the tip of the iceberg of a biochemical reaction, but then something down that chain could mechanistically just revert back to normal homeostatic um, processes. So here's one, you know, a, an actual study, or I should say it's another uh, meta-analysis looking at the effect of actual weight loss. So pretty low pickings here. You see only nine studies uh, even made it through the, the study criteria. And they did say this, which is an interesting little conflict. Subjects who received carnitine lost significantly more weight, but the magnitude of weight loss resulted by carnitine supplementation significantly decreased over time. So that's exactly what I said could happen. Um, but there is, a, there is a great learning point to this. If, and I, and I have to think either that, that really, really acute adaptation of using more lipids, using, you know, they, they always use the word shuttle. If you look up anything, uh, L-carnitine shuttles lipids or shuttles glucose into the mitochondria to use energy. Maybe because all of the muscle cells in your body and so forth, there are just so many mitochondria just by magnitude, maybe that actually does have a direct weight loss effect. Or as I said, it could still be coming back to things like hunger, um, which is not really, you know, a, a point of, of review here. So if, if I were operationally just looking at my own 
dieting methods and my own responses to weight loss. And I'm trying to be judicious with the money that I'm spending on supplements and even cautious about whether these things have bad side effects that are unknown. You know, I would look at this and say, okay, there, there's something here. It works. It has a biophysiological effect that seems good. Seems like what I would want. Let's give it a shot. Probably alone, you know, not, not included in another big supplement, but let's just see if I can take this for a week or two and, and see if I get any results. Knowing that over time, maybe because of saturation and use levels, maybe because your body just becomes adapted to that, I know that that ride is not going to be here for long. So maybe like creatine that's, you know, used in a saturation level in, in, in when that environment has run its course, you're supposed to deload a little bit from that and then let your endogenous creatine levels re resynthesize what would be considered a normal rate. Then you can take it again. So you get those little cyclical pyramiding type effects. Maybe L-carnitine is similar to that, but I think that's worth knowing. Um, but the next thing, looks, looks like I get this out of order here. Sorry about that. I'm going to skip back and forth here. So chromium is probably the first thing that ever showed up in literature from a trace mineral or just, just supplemental form of, of, of anything in this glucose disposal agent category for kind of the same thing as L-carnitine, kind of what it's known for. It's, it's, it's definitely part of this blood glucose control family of supplements so there was, so this one, I went, I found one that directly looked at its effect for weight, for body fat loss. Um, let me come up here again for a second for that mechanism of action. Chromium being a trace mineral has a potential role in maintaining proper carbohydrate and lipid levels at the molecular level, very similar, but different mechanism. Chromium appears to play a role in the auto amplification mechanism of insulin signaling. So now it's controlling how your cells interact with insulin but here's an interesting thing, and this is why I said you should always take this kind of stuff uh, with eyes wide open. Supplemented chromium requires reduction in the chromic center. A process can lead potentially to production of harmful hydroxyl radicals, so free radicals. I wouldn't say that in itself is a problem because we encounter free radical damage all day. Just breathing oxygen creates free radicals. Standing in the sunlight creates free radicals each cell in your body gets about 10,000 free radical hits every day. So a supplement that says this produces something like that doesn't tell you anything about the amount or the type of harm and so forth. So that's something that just may be completely innocuous, um, just part of the metabolic process, but it, it's in the literature. So I just wanted to show that that's why, as I said, you shouldn't just take supplement claims or somebody's recommendation on face value. Always dig in, do your due diligence in terms of just looking specifically for side effects and potential harm. But let's get back in here to what the study actually showed. So another meta-analysis, again, 10 trials, woefully small, um, but what made the criteria, they want to make sure they were randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies. And here was their result on chromium. And again, this is, this is the one that's in everything. Like there was a time when you couldn't even pick up a manufactured protein shake or protein bar or any kind of supplement, anything related to bodybuilding that didn't have chromium because once it hit 
the popular magazines just in titles that this supplement helps control blood sugar, helps control cravings, all these claims, then everybody started putting it in their products just because of that, that hype. Uh, our meta-analysis suggests a relatively small effect of chromium piclinate compared with placebo for reducing body weight. The clinical relevance of the effect, however, is debatable. The lack of sufficient robustness means that the overall results have to be interpreted with caution. So with, I mean, looking at every study possible on this supplement, which is one of the bigger ones in this class, the response is, eh, maybe, probably not. Maybe someday we'll figure something out, but it's certainly not overwhelming. And because this is a, a trace mineral that does have toxicity levels, this is where the reason I said it's in so many products, you really need to look at how much you're getting. Because I believe 200 micrograms is kind of a typical dose. And you could be getting that in five servings of five different supplements or, or just, you know, weight loss foods that you're consuming. All right. So I said this is going to be incredibly short and direct because it's so hard to find information on these very specific supplements. I actually do want to, I'm investigating now because I've done a couple of these things in the past. Um, I mentioned that one of my supplement companies I've owned in the past, we actually made a product that would be in this class. And I thought it was amazing. And we, we intentionally had four particular products. L-carnitine was one. Uh, I believe we had chromium uh, and the, all four of these would be in here. We wanted to keep it simple for some of the points of caution I've mentioned. And, and I, I, I can't claim to be unbiased. It was my product and I tend to be sensitive to glycemic reaction uh, for my body type. I have to diet, you know, pretty consistently. I wouldn't say low carbohydrate. It's certainly not low, like, like zero carbs, but for me, 17, 1800 calories is kind of a starting point. I have to go lower. Um, if I want to be super consistent at losing a pound a week for a long time, uh, my carbohydrate levels are going to be 150 or so grams a day, uh, which for a, a male, you know, is, is something I would consider pretty low as a coach. Uh, and so these kind of things matter to me. If I can get just a little bit of edge in glycemic response, not feeling hypoglycemic, you know, reducing hunger, that's meaningful to people who live within those small margins. And so not only the product that we produced with a food science team and a, and a biochemist, um, but other ones I've tried, you know, have also had some effect. And as I talk to other people, like I said, they, you know, most say, yes, this particular brand or this product, you know, I do feel a difference. So I'm going to, I'm going to try probably a couple more as I dig into this. And I, I become kind of interested in this because the resurgence in popularity is there, but it also has so much to do with the metabolic switch. You know, when we talk about what even gets you into that state of body fat usage and how you become more fat adapted, more efficient, all of the benefits of feeling better happen when you get to that side of the continuum and you stay there. And the biggest enemy to staying there is runaway hunger, including uh, those fluctuations in blood sugar, but then even just overall inabilities to control, um, you know, food intake, just, you know, as you're, as you're moving along and, and things like stress and emotion, perhaps releases more cortisol, then you get those bigger uh, blood sugar fluctuations. 
you know, e even things like in some of these uh, 5-HTP and some other uh, nootropic and, and neurochemical modulators show up in some of these glucose disposal agents. And so even though last week I cautioned against just throwing everything, including the kitchen sink into a supplement and saying, hey, here's everything we know that may work. Let's just throw them all together and hope something good happens. You know, it, it's hard not to just take something like that because it's more convenient. But if you can take one individual supplement at a time and then really see what works, almost like an elimination diet, I think it really does give us a little bit more um, utility in terms of potentially less harmful side effects if there are any, saving money, uh, just knowing that you're you're putting the emphasis and giving credit where it's due. So when you want a repeatable response, you know where that's coming from. But again, as just a short introduction to specific compounds in this class, this was our starting point. Uh, before I open it up for questions, next week is a holiday weekend, I think, right? July 4th weekend. And then the next week I travel the next weekend. So uh, this, we may have kind of a summer pause for a couple of weeks on our research reviews for our clients and coaches. Um, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays, we'll still be here for our normal live chats, but the, this, we may have to put a pause and that could be consequential in that I can dig a little bit deeper into more of these facets and really pull together a good summary for us. But that said, let me stop the screen share, bring you guys back into play here. And if you have any questions at all on anything even related to blood sugar, metabolic switch, these supplements, glucose disposal agents, please jump in. I, I, I didn't realize chromium had that type of negative side effect or potential side effect. Of course, everything can, but for something so maybe common or at least was, um, I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't been louder up to this point. I'm, I'm just, I'm, well, it's, it's an essential mineral, trace mineral. And that's why I said, when I saw that, I wanted to put it in just as an example that there can be deleterious things, but I honestly don't know if it would be that big, because like I said, anytime you throw in the word, you know, free radical damage, um, you know, what doesn't breathing gives you free radical damage. Um, so I, I would just have to look at that. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm not even that worried because I think if like any other element like arsenic or lead, if it was truly harmful as a mineral in higher levels, like that would be known. So I, I think that's pretty, probably pretty inconsequential, but it just serves as a warning to always look. And I think that's what the bigger point is, is just, it's so innocuous that you wouldn't think that would be an issue. And even if it isn't, it's just the fact that people will just assume because it's the trace mineral or elements, whatever label you would give it, that it's therefore immune. And that's never the case with anything. The dose makes the poison. Yeah. And some of these things, you know, there are actual other benefits. Like if you look at L-carnitine, uh, there are neuroprotective mechanisms. You know, it's not just dealing with metabolism. Um, so some of these things, have great effects. I mean, you know, just like vitamin B, we know you need vitamin B for X, Y, and Z, but oh, by the way, it directly helps control metabolism. And so, 
you know, all of a sudden you could be putting that matter of fact, I think that was one of our ingredients in, in ours, uh, because again, it really helps control the metabolism of carbohydrates. So, um, yeah, you're right. The, you know, dose is everything, but Heather, you got something, uh, good to say or question? I don't know anything good to say, um, but you talk about the metabolic switch a lot. Um, can you just kind of give us like, what's your cliff note summary on, and I know that's tough, but what's your cliff note summary on kind of maximizing the metabolic switch? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's kind of the fundamental center point of my entire career as a nutrition coach is, you know, if you go back even 30 years ago, when I started talking about, I called it back then metabolic positioning and I don't even know if it's because I was familiar with metabolic switch as a concept or if that came later in research as a label, but so your body can use anything at its availability for energy. Obviously cells want glucose as that first usage point because it's so easy to metabolize and it's so highly available. So blood sugar in our bodies evolved as the most useful uh, energy source because it's so simple to break down. It, it's fast when you need it and there, and, and it, it's usable by every cell. So then there's a secondary source, which is, okay, we have this glucose and you have a certain blood sugar level, but then we can store glucose in the body as glycogen. So little bundles of glucose to be used as energy. That's that second layer. We break that down. We're constantly storing and resynthesizing and releasing and all that. Um, and, and just, you know, as we need it. So for example, uh, you know, I like to, I like to use this as, as the, the, the best metaphor or example, which is imagine that at rest, you're sitting at your desk, burning 60 to 70 calories an hour. As soon as you just start walking, you know, that's going to double now oxygen use is up, glycogen use is up or glucose use is up. So your body has to start preparing. So a cascade of hormonal reactions say, okay, movement is happening. Like imagine a little Pixar movie with a, you know, somebody in your brain controlling all the switches. Okay. Heather's up. She's moving. She's moving. What's next. You guys, we have to start releasing glycogen, break down glycogen into glucose. Cause we don't know what she's going to do. She may take off running. She may be working out. And so just, just the body's motion creates that dynamic. And then what if you do start working out really hard? And so now you're burning five, 600 calories an hour, your heart rate's 150. Now you have to start releasing lipids into your bloodstream because then your lipids, as you know, as soon as you run out of available muscle glycogen, lipids can be converted into glucose through your liver, gluconeogenesis. Um, then you can get into oxygen debt. So the long-term, you know, aerobic use of energy so you have that entire continuum that your body has to be prepared for. So, so keep that in mind as an acute look at just energy need. And the second part of that is how does that look over time? Today versus tomorrow versus next week versus next month. If we're in a calorie deficit and so we don't have enough blood sugar available because I controlled my meal and I'm not going to eat for another three or four hours. And I've used all of that food. And so now I'm in a calorie deficit. I have to go somewhere. So now just like in that exercise state, 
Now, in a more subtle way, your body has to start using energy in a chronic way that 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 accounts for that deficit. So now you start using stored muscle glycogen, stored liver glycogen, just like you would in exercise, but you're eating more meals. You're not using it that fast. So some of it can be replenished. Some of it's not. You're still in that chronic deficit. So then you get to the point where now even your stored glycogen levels are so low and you're being so consistent that now fat loss or fat usage has to escalate even more. So now on that conveyor belt of energy sources, we start using higher levels of fat. And when you hormonally create that environment, because it's the longer term, higher energy requiring thing for your body to do, that's why it's last, it's, it's, it takes a lot of energy demand from your body. Once it's in motion, as long as you keep that calorie deficit and energy use stable, it will, you'll, your body will get more efficient at doing it. So the hormones like epinephrine, adrenaline, like uh, glucagon, uh, even thyroid output, those kind of things escalate a little bit. So your homeostatic range becomes tilted more toward using fat as energy. It's what proponents of the ketogenic diet say, you know, that's becoming fat adapted. Your body becomes better at using fat as energy instead of being in that mode where your body prefers carbs for energy, you're forcing your body to be better at and almost preferring fat for energy. Now, lest you think that that's a sales pitch for keto, it comes at a great cost because that's where you're in damage control and your body starts suppressing your metabolism. You've lost the cushion for lean body mass retention. So now your body's using amino acids and, and breaking down muscle for energy as well. So that's going into pure survival mode. But in that metabolic switch, if you just go from being dominantly uh, usury of carbohydrates to being in that slow calorie deficit, takes you three or four days to become depleted enough. You're leaving enough reserves in the tank. Like I said, when I'm dieting, if I'm, if you said, Joe, you got, for whatever reason, you got to lose 10 pounds in the next eight weeks. I would drop my carbs down to about 150 grams a day. I would drop my calories down to, you know, 17, 1800. And I would meet that goal. I would, I'm not all the way ketogenic. I'm not on a very low calorie or starvation diet. I'm moving that metabolic switch to the position where I'm consistently using fat as energy, that secondary source of energy besides the food I'm eating. The reason this is so important, Heather, and the reason I said it's the, it's the foundation of my entire career is because on the same amount of calories, like let's say I, you know, I spent three or four days dieting, I'm just about depleted and hey, let's go have a cheeseburger and fries. And now I refill that glycogen. Then I get back on track and I get to work and four or five days later, it's a weekend and I do something again and I go back. You can absolutely literally eat the same amount of calories per week, per month and get 40 to 50% less body fat loss just because of your timing of refilling those carbohydrate levels. And that's the metabolic switch. Once that metabolic switch gets there, you want to stay there. It just becomes easier. You have less hunger. You have more stability. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, one of my clients who I've kind of mentioned anonymously, uh, you know, has been kind of struggling with consistency. So we had this talk this week and she said, oh my gosh, 
after I work out Wednesday, I was hungry all day. I was just so hungry, hungry, hungry. And I said, okay, that's that probable point of depletion, carbohydrate levels, glycogen levels in your body. And she said, I, I went over my calories just a little bit, like just a little. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, that we got some margin for error there. I said, how did you feel the next day? Did you stay on track? She said, yeah, I've just kept my food the same all week long. I've done what you said. I've been very consistent. I said, were you as hungry the next day? She said, no, I was hardly hungry at all. And I said, that's because now your body is converting more fats into glucose. So you've reached that kind of death valley where your body's not yet used to using as much body fat. Glycogen levels are now low. Your food intake is still in a consistent calorie deficit. Once your body ramps up and starts producing more of its own glucose from stored fat, like I said, as, as kind of a conveyor belt, it just stays in motion as long as you give it a reason to be predictable and consistent. So that's, that's why the metabolic switch is so powerful. And that's why these kinds of claims for supplements that can control hunger and can control even the rate at which maybe, you know, those lipids and glucose are getting used by the mitochondria. It's if there's any validity to just behaviorally making it easier, then I want that advantage and I want it to be true. So that's my bias. I, I want to find out which, which of these supplements can do it and what amounts. And just like, um, I think it was L-carnitine where it said, you know, we, we had a substantial benefit. It was obvious. And then after time, it kind of went back down to nothing. Like those are things that are important. So if we have to cycle it, we know how to cycle it. But uh, I see you unmuted. So jump back in. Yeah, I think just because of strategy moving forward, like I'm, I expect to slow down on some of my weight loss here in these like final handful of weeks. And it sounds like consistency is super important to stay fat adapted. Am I better off trying to get my meals at the same time consistently? Or there's a couple of days of the week where I'm not as hungry. Can I go ahead and, you know, cut out maybe 25 grams of carbs those days or spend more time between meals? So like today I wasn't hungry. I ate breakfast at 7.30 a.m. It was a little bit lighter than my typical breakfast. And I didn't eat again until like 15 minutes ago. It, should I be doing that to try to consistently, you know, lose the weight without having to drop calories and add cardio every day? Or should I try to be consistent and say, I'm going to eat as close to noon every day as I can. And I'm going to eat the exact same foods and the exact same amounts. It's impossible to answer dogmatically, but I, but I will say this, I want to, I want to give you the empowerment to make those choices based on how you feel. So like you said, if it's a day when you're like, I'm just not hungry, so I can just avoid this extra hundred calories. Like I'm just not hungry. I'm going to skip this. That works fine. And I think there's some, some incredible utility to that until it trips you up. Because if you're not staying ahead of your hunger, like you may think, hey, what I'm doing right now is working so well, I feel so great that I'm going to try and push a little bit deeper. Um, then what if you get this raging extra hunger and it causes you to really overeat? Because And, and if you just would have kept that 25 grams of carbs, you would have avoided that. You know, So that's why you, you don't know until you know sometimes. Um, so as long as you keep your eye on those potential drawbacks, then I would say always, you know, always listen to your body, be intuitive enough to not eat when you don't feel you need it. 
just like I told my client, I'm happy you ate a little extra. Like you were so ravenous. You're so hungry. I would much rather have you consume a small amount of healthy extra food than suffer and maybe just drive into a ditch, you know, with, with a binge or something. Um, but here, here's another point to answer your question about consistency. I have a client overseas who just, she has a ton of muscle. She's just an incredible competitor. And um, she said she really likes, like, here's her baseline food intake. She likes to have both days on the weekend that were pretty high, like 1200 calories higher than her daily. So it's almost, almost a doubling, maybe about a 40% increase. And I said, okay, I mean, you know, your body better than I do. We're just getting started. So let's give it a shot. Well, for a couple of weeks, what we see is some good progress. Then those two days in a row are refilling glycogen stores enough, even with controlled healthy foods, that then it takes her all of the rest of the week, that the next week to reuse some of that newly stored glycogen. And so we're really not seeing any progress. So I said, okay, we, we need a timeout. I, I, I did it your way for a couple of weeks. But we either need to take out one of those days because clearly you're reestablishing new glycogen storage levels the first day that are high enough and the second day that now you're just resaturating your whole body. Or we need to keep your two day plan, but bring it down. You know, instead of adding this much carbohydrate both days, we need to bring this much. And again, all I'm trying to do is figure out her glycogen storage capacities so that we can keep that metabolic switch where we need it to be. Because what she's doing is she's just going all the way back to square one where it takes her the first three or four days of the next week just to lose that glycogen again and then get a new body fat loss. So I, I'm still very much in favor of higher calorie or higher carbohydrate days where we need to because there is a definite advantage to having your baseline calories low enough to where you know it's effective. And some people feel like any refilling days just kind of throw them off. They don't, you know, they, they just feel like that's not a good idea and that's fine. We don't have to do it every week. It can be just when we feel we need one, but if, if we're not low enough to really make sure we're tripping that mechanism into full glycogen, you know, usage and, and getting that metabolic switch into the position we want, then it becomes a little bit harder because you're kind of on the, on the early half of that mechanism and you just may not be losing fast enough. And, and then you don't create that margin for an increase where you might want one. I don't know if I'm adding too much confusion there or not. Uh, real quick, Amanda in the chat said, does anybody have a brand of protein or BCA in Germany? A lot of those countries over there, I mean, some of the Nordic states, Germany is probably pretty uh, okay, but like places in Norway, Sweden, um, they are very cautious and you, they, they treat supplements and vitamins like pharmacological substances and there's just not a lot available. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll have to figure that out when we get there. I'll, I may try to think, I don't have any clients or coaches right now in Germany. Um, but I'll, I'll definitely, you may find out before I do, but I'll, I'll look around for sure, Amanda. Uh, any other thoughts, questions? Are you, are you reaching in there, Lainey? I am. So I have a question regarding this. So, um, did awesome on vacation eating and then 
I don't know what happened yesterday, but I lost my ever loving mind. No, I lost my self-control. So ate carbs and sugar and crap. So on like what you're saying, is there a way to like, if what you're saying, less carbs, get to that fat adaptive metabolic switch, is there anything you can do to, um, like in my mind, I'm going, well, then I should just not eat carbs for the next three days to try to get myself back to where I was. Cause for me, it takes me forever to get back to where I was as far as regaining everything. Anyway, is there something you could do to, um, or is that thinking even logical of, okay, I'll eat less carbs to try to get myself back to where I was when I was consistent? Yeah, there, there are a bunch of things. And Kevin just quoted a great physiological truth that fat is burned in the flames of carbohydrates. So, you know, we need to have enough carbohydrate there. So don't say, okay, I overate. So now I'm going to kind of fast for two or three days, because then that can really pull down that whole process. But here's a couple tricks. And again, these are these are like power tools that you have to be careful with, like safety goggles, steel toed boot kind of thing. So you don't hurt yourself. Um, it, it, if somebody finds themselves having overeaten, like a legit binge, or it's like, oh my gosh, I had this goal. I've got this contest here. I just ate more than I needed to. Remember, all of that energy is very acutely in flux. It's in your stomach. It's in your small intestine. It's being pushed into your, your bloodstream. And so if you can start using that energy before it has a chance to get stored, that is true mitigation. So if I, for some reason, and, and you know, I told you guys, I've been there. I have felt the pressure of, as a pro bodybuilder and I'm dieting way too hard. I'm, I'm doing too much cardio. And I know what it's like to binge uncontrollably and then just like not even realize what you're doing at the time. Like there's nothing that could pull you away from that food. You get that feeling. And so as soon as you can shut that down, probably again, because neurologically your hypothalamus turns off that hunger signal. As soon as blood sugar levels start to go up, you'll start feeling that reduction hunger. So as soon as you can say, okay, I, I need to do something. I just slipped up, made a mistake, ate too much food. A, you now have a lot of food in your GI system and in transit. So you don't need food for a while. You can skip your next meal, skip your next snack. Maybe the rest of that day, try to eat lighter, just protein and veggies, that kind of thing. But go take a long walk, you know, just say, well, I wasn't uh, planning on working out today, but I'm going to go to the gym for an hour. And, you know, not in a frenzied, pathological, I must punish myself way, but I'm just going to make sure I start using some of this energy before it even has a chance to get stored. That's helpful. Then in a little bit more of a secondary step, the next day or two, if you can mathematically quantify what you consumed, remember that food is going to have some impact. It's going to refill glycogen stores a little bit. So you can say, okay, maybe I'm going to cut my carbs down by 25% for the next couple of days. If you're doing things methodically and logically in a way that doesn't make you just repeat that cycle, because what a lot of people do when they overeat is then they'll, they'll exercise purge, you know, a form of bulimia and, or true like bulimia and anorexia. And they start to then just create this cycle of going overboard, then, then going too low. And that 
triggers you to go overboard. So a, I think it's helpful if you say, okay, why did that happen? Like I was on vacation. I was fine. Coming back. Was I in some kind of flux where I really just didn't have enough food in me? I was really hitting that metabolic positioning death Valley space, or was it just the stress and anxiety of rushing around? Cause that makes our body release cortisol and, or what, you know, self-medicating, self-soothing, you know, was something triggering you to really need that. Cause I, I also, besides trying to mitigate it, I want to figure out what's happening so I don't repeat it, but just that, that's what I would say on both ends. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great question. Uh, and Amanda said the same thing. She's, she would always go to the gym and just, uh, I do use that extra hit that yeah, And that's another yeah. thing too. Like you're going to have, go ahead. Uh, so the, yeah, for me, like I, I've been going through the same thing that Lainey and like, as you know, you know, we're leaving and we're doing all this, you know, dinners out saying goodbye to friends and family and stuff like that. So um, I start to feel that same, like that, that guilt the next day. Um, but I will say that like after last night going out to dinner, eating more than I normally would just because, you know, whenever you eat out, everything is just loaded with fat. I just feel like I get a better workout in the next day. Like I have more energy and more strength. Um, not so much that I'm like, Oh my God, I have to work 10 times harder. It's just, I, I feel like I can work harder. Um, or just getting a little bit more extra cardio in than I would normally, um, like today, instead of driving to gym, I'm on base. So I could just, I was like, I'm just going to walk there or I'm just going to do a quick jog. Um, so that was the first thing that I wanted to say. Second thing that I wanted to ask you though, Joe. Um, so today when I got to the gym, they have an indoor track and, um, I had already taken my, my pre-workout maybe like 15 minutes prior to that. And I got maybe like a quarter of a mile in and all of a sudden my heart rate just went skyrocket, like 170, which is the highest. My heart rate doesn't normally get that high. 170. Usually I'm like 160, but then my chest started hurting. And I was thinking, well, okay, I got to stop. So I stopped. Um, and then as soon as I stopped, it went away and I was able to like, just do my weightlifting and I was fine. My heart rate was fine after that. But do you ever hear that? Like people have reactions to certain pre-workouts to where it, it does that like as a side effect. Yeah. So I think both Kevin and I almost shit our pants at the same time hearing you say that my heart skyrocketed. And um, so first of all, yes, like just inordinate amounts of caffeine and you don't know what dosage you're really getting. Like it says you're getting 200 milligrams on the label, but if it wasn't mixed well and whatever, like you could have 400. Um, So yes, I would optimistically say that could be it, but you also have to keep an eye on things. Cause as soon as somebody has some kind of, I wouldn't call it a cardiovascular incident, but something that raised your eyebrows, you yeah. got to think, wow, I, you know, if this happens again, it's probably something. 
Right. Um, so <laughs> I was like, you know what? Next workout, I'm just not going to use anything and see if that happens again. Um, because yeah, I was a little concerned there first. I even texted my husband. I was like, so weird thing just happened. Just so you know, my my chest is kind of hurting me right now. If I'm having a heart attack, come get me <laughs> the gym. <laughs> Probably nothing, right, Lainey? But you know, heart problems don't don't occur in in young healthy people. Yeah, it's something to watch. I I really do. You know, especially if you had taken a pre workout, like that's the obvious. You know. Yeah. So here's the thing, like I'm at the bottom of the barrel with my normal supplements. And so, you know, I'm, I'm using like those little packet packet stuff that I usually get at my competitions, like the free samples that they hand out. So I've never used this stuff before. And so I was like, it's gotta be the pre-workout because that's the only thing that was different today. Which is always the best way to put things in your body. Hey, somebody gave me this for free. I'll just put it in my body. I have no idea what it is. I haven't looked into it, <laughs> but we all do it. Yeah, okay, Joe. All right. <laughs> you did bring up a great point in the silver lining of overeating, even if it's unintentional, is that that extra glycogen is there to use. And so I don't want to get people in the cycle of thinking, oh, that wasn't that bad. I'll just go use it. And then we just keep like overeating, thinking that it's not a bad thing eventually it's going to slow down your progress that you may be up against the calendar and need, but yeah, I mean, intentional or unintentionally, you know, those, those higher calorie days are going to have an anabolic impact, even if it's just cardiovascular, like you may decide, I don't want to train. I don't have any to train, but just to go, you know, do some kind of cardio, you could have a lot more energy usage because you had those extra calories. So all right, guys. Well, hey, I thought so I, I have a question. Um, ma'am, the question is like, when do you know? Because I don't feel like there's a defined line on when to stop taking. I mean, I only take L carnitine, obviously, when I'm in prep, but this prep is a little longer because of my goal uh, in competition. But then, um, and that would go with creatine too, because I take creatine all year. And sometimes I just take a break, like a week or two just to kind of get it reset. But like, is there a definitive timeline for both and that sort of thing, I guess is my question. So I'm going to, I'm going to address both of them individually because everything we do has effect. Um, L-carnitine, I was not even aware until I read this particular study that there was a pretty, pretty great impact. And then it resolved pretty quickly as well. So it does make me think like, creatine, although creatine is endogenous, our body produces it. Mm-hmm. So if we supplement it, then our body's production is going to go down. Um, so that's why you have to be careful with creatine. But on, on the L-carnitine, I just have to say that having this knowledge right now, I'm, I'm assuming there's not a lot of repeatable evidence that, like you said, would give us an answer. So it does make me think that A, if I'm using it intermittently, like I only use it maybe pre-cardio. I'm not going to do even pre-training, just pre-cardio. Sure. And I'm not doing, I'm only doing it when I'm in prep, you know, you, you still may be able to squeeze out most of the effect that way. Uh, classically creatine that's been around now for around 30 years, you know, they, they say here, here's how you reach saturation. Then you stay on it for two or three months and then go off for two or three months. Other people then have really looked at how 
you can't use more than about two or three grams a day once you're saturated. So forget about the five and 10 gram, you know, stay low. And then maybe only do that on days you do train because then you are that that's when you have the higher demand for it. So everybody's trying to find ways of being able to use it more consistently, just more judiciously. But at the same time, you know, I asked a couple of researchers about this specifically, like knowing that it's endogenous, is there a point in time where you've just almost become dependent on it? Like now that I've been using it off and on, even as directed for 25 years, is my body just producing so little of it that now I have to use it for even normal metabolic processes? And nobody knows. Like there are a couple people who have tried to research that and guess how long the studies are? Like a year at most. Okay. Yeah, oh, we, we use it for a year and there's no problem. Like, well, some of us have been using it for 25 years. Like, you know, have I done something to that entire endogenous, exogenous, you know, cycle? So I, I have to say, I, I have always felt, even when creatine first hit the market, that I was kind of a hyper responder. Like I felt like a tank when I would take it. Like my muscle tissue is just so much harder. I was just infinitely stronger. And when I would come off of it, it was really noticeable. And then I'd come back on and there are those great effects again. I still feel that. Um, but when you get blood work, you're looking at, you know, BUN, creatinine, all these things. Like I've never seen any problems, you know, kidney function is perfectly fine. So because we consume creatine in animal protein and we make it ourselves, and it's literally the most studied supplement in history. And so we now have these boundaries. I have a really good feeling it's not harming anybody or we would have actually seen it by now. We'd see cases. Um, so I just consider to use it, like I said, in those smaller amounts as research to be, you know, not only minimum effective doses, but kind of upper end doses. And I use it when I feel like I need it. It's like, hey, I'm gonna really make a big strength push. So I'm gonna use it as part of my off season or I'm in prep. And so I'm trying to retain lean body mass and strength. So I'm going to take it then, you know, I, I try and pick my seasons when I'm using it more and then give my body a break. But I think, I think this, you know, even saying that all carnitine has an effect like that goes back to the fact that our bodies adapt to things so easily, even protein. There are studies that show if you have a certain amount of protein and you always eat the same amount five times a day, you know, your body gets used to that being your threshold and you no longer have that impact. So sometimes doing a fast from protein means that your body all of a sudden starts synthesizing it and using it even better. So sometimes deciding, Hey, I'm going to go for a couple months with just bringing my overall protein levels down, or maybe one or two days a week, I'm going to lower my protein just so the other days a week, you know, that those receptor sites have kind of washed out. There's just a lot of value to using that kind of logic to anything we put in our bodies. Okay. Yeah, that was really good. That was helpful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Good question. All right. Well, I, I was so disappointed what I could find for this research review. I thought I would have you guys on and off in like 10 minutes. So you guys had such great questions. I think you made this an actual good one. I was, I was considering not even recording this uh, for anybody just finding it unuseful, but you guys, you guys pulled us through. Uh, those of you who are coaches and clients, like I said, next Monday, Wednesday, we'll be here. Friday will be 
kind of the July 4th weekend. So I'll, I'll announce this uh, in our group and social media. But for now, you guys have a great rest of your Friday and weekend, and I will see you next week.